0: Hi and welcome, I'm JJ Walsh, and today on Seek Sustainable Japan, we are diving into the history of Japanese castles. Historian authors Oleg Benish and Rand Zeigenberg give us insights from their interesting book about Japan's castles, which is now in paperback format from Cambridge University Press. Japan's castles have had an interesting transition over its history in how they've been rebranded. The changes were due to shifts in public perspectives of the role of the military, but also how the government wanted to represent Japan's military past, often in bizarre and unexpected ways. This was a great discussion, and we had a little bit of technical difficulties, um, but I hope there is enough here for you to take away and enjoy. Well,
1: oh, thank, you. thank you
2: for having me,
0: us. It's, great. it's great to have you both on the show. Uh, we had a great talk with you, Ran. A couple weeks ago, about your wonderful book about Hiroshima and the narratives and how the branding of the city has changed over time. And a lot of that plays into the same kind of stories that both of you guys have introduced in your beautiful, wonderful book on Japanese castles and citadels. Here we go. Here's the cover. Citadels of Modernity in War and Peace, Japan's Castles. How did this project, how did this collaboration get started between you two?
1: Uh, just, well, I guess, um, well, I think I'll, I'll maybe say this to uh, um, I'll tackle it so Ron doesn't need to uh, kind of blow his own horn, so to speak, because I think a lot of it originates in his other work on hiroshima i mean ron and i met at a conference in tokyo in 2013 so yeah almost 10 years ago now um and kind of over the the kind of buffet i guess and uh we're just going to start talking about castles ron mentioned it and and i think and ron can correct me here but it was essentially you know in in the work he was doing on hiroshima in the 1950s and this rebranding of the city in terms of turning into a peace city he kept you know coming across the document referring to the castle reconstruction and people you know essentially saying well why why are you rebuilding this castle this symbol of mi- militarism this is not on brand and that it was a hugely controversial thing and he talked about it then in the book on his Hiroshima book um but then you know there was a much larger thing there
2: what happened in Hiroshima and we can talk more about Hiroshima castle later on if they de- built this castle they rebuild this castle after the war. Um uh, so did a uh, whole bunch of erasing of what this castle meant before the war mm. you generally.
0: you mentioned the bushido and i i yeah. heard that oleg yeah. in your in your videos about japan castles which i assume is connected to your book in a lot of mm-hmm. ways um yeah. those introductions that you've done i hope to see more of those you've only got three right oleg
1: <laughs> yeah there, there are a few more in the pipeline it's it's on the to-do yeah. list this that was something that happened early lockdown when everything else got got cancelled um and then things start opening up again and uh but i've, I've got a, yeah we've got a few more in the pipeline um yeah. but those yeah I, I think yeah no it's it's been a lot of a lot of fun doing those i mean just to maybe Back to what like mentioned a bit what Ron said there about kind of like like Bushido, this kind of idea of the the way wo- the way of the samurai, the way of the warrior. I mean, that's a great image you've got up right there because you know, these are essentially a bunch of um, university staff and students cosplaying samurai around 1910, um, is what all these these photos are, and then taking taking photos of themselves in in armor and things. Um but but what happens in after 1945 is you know, this this kind of what I guess is the dominant version of masculinity in Japan at that time is really kind of discredited, you know, by the, the defeat and then the U S occupation. And what happens is you really have a search for like kind of a new type of, of masculinity and like trying to recover some kind of martial values. Um, and you know, you can't really look at the Imperial period for obvious reasons, but if you jump back far enough and look at the samurai period, um, so kind of pre 1860s, that's where you can maybe start to recover some kind of, you know, um, model masculinity again. And and that's where we see this, this, there's all these samurai films that are coming out in the fifties again, but that's also where you have this, this flurry of castle building of trying to, you know, recreate these pre-modern spaces that were, you know, kind of these symbols of Japan. So um, yeah. that's kind of the dynamic we're looking at.
0: Yeah. And the common themes, uh of your book and and of your videos of your work it seems are how a lot of the castles that we see now around Japan have more of a focus on the feudal the samurai past and kind of gloss over the modern militarism and uh our modern sightseeing places that a lot of the community and locals really appreciate as well as the the visitors coming from other areas is that one of the main mm-hmm. themes?
2: Yeah, basically the role that nostalgia plays in, uh, nostalgia plays in in erasing unwelcome aspects of the recent past. And contrast, but what's fascinating about Castle is it's exactly the same building. I think,
1: yeah of, of the original keeps i mean the the tenshu that the big structure at the center that you you showed in the photo earlier i mean there were there were about 20 original keeps from the pre-modern period that still survived in japan um there's a yeah there's a uh, photo of it and, there and then you know the about seven of them were destroyed then uh, around the wartime so yeah um and, not that many and that that was a very good picture
2: actually after we see the um imperial imperial army and you saw a couple of more pictures before imperial uh, trains in, in front of those castles and and it's very important to notice and think uh, our in the coming up I think the Meiji emperor from the imperial castle going to hiroshima These
0: pictures are amazing and don't they look mm-hmm. so European like the chariots and the the uniforms and then next to the castle and this is some this juxtaposition of like mixed military themes with the samurai past the modern military the samurai feudal past those themes were also used in more modern sightseeing postcards and things that you guys talk about too right that's really interesting yeah
1: i i I think it's interesting because i think it it takes a while for for these kind of Themes to come together in kind of the modern military, and for them to actually start using the samurai past. There's a bit of a break, and so I mean, just just I guess there's a bit of a background for people who aren't maybe as as familiar with it. Is I mean, Japan. Almost every major city in Japan, and even most minor cities in Japan, seem to have like a big castle at the center of them. If they're if they're older places, it's now usually a park or something else. But you know, these castles, when kind of the new imperial government comes in in 1868, these castle spaces are now you know, no longer useful for their older purposes. They essentially clear out the feudal lords and the samurai. And it's the same time where they're constructing a new imperial army, which they put into the castle spaces. And I mean, initially, these are just a space for the army. They're in the center of the city, but it's it's, it's just quite convenient. Um, there's really a, a large rejection of the samurai actually in the 1870s, 1880s. They're not really a model for anything. I mean, we now have a commoner conscript army Um, it's a very different way and it's, it's, you know, the West is very much more a model. And I mean, those images, those woodblock prints, as you pointed out, you know, they are using, you know, you look at a lot of the features and everything and, and people are, are looking, they're depicted in ways that are quite Western. And we really see this in like woodblock prints from around the Sino-Japanese and Russo-Japanese wars that, you know, the, the, the Japanese soldiers are often portrayed in ways that look very similar to the Russian soldiers. Um, And so they're they're really drawing on a lot of European models here. And probably around the turn of the century, there becomes a little more appreciation of that samurai heritage. And they start to try to recover this. And then the military starts to actually use the fact that they are in these former samurai castles. They use that imagery to kind of try to link to supposedly ancient kind of martial values and like a samurai spirit and kind of draw on that. And that's then, you mentioned kind of later postcards in the 1920s, 1930s, which are really starting to use that as propaganda and and really trying to to link this supposed samurai spirit to the castles. I mean, this is a great image here of of some military maneuvers in Osaka. You know, we see the castle there, the castle keep on the back left up above, and then we can see it off in the distance there. And we see all those soldiers in the front marching on these maneuvers and we see all the biplanes up in the air above. I'm pretty sure those are uh, probably some early version of Photoshop. I don't I don't think there are that many biplanes probably flying there. Um, but you know, some of some of them look a little bit too similar to <laughs> Yeah, to
0: maybe, and, um, and it's really real. it's the three juxtaposition of this postcard which I find really striking, right? The industrialism and mm. the modern military and the traditional castle all together on one postcard is really striking, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, those, those are the really kind of key elements is like, you know, kind of bringing this, bringing the best of modernity together with like kind of this ancient Japanese spirit, supposedly. And I mean, one thing that, that I think it's something we really point out in the book, and I think it's important to note is that, you know, this is not like some, you know, weird Japanese thing or uniquely Japanese. I mean, the rest of the world is doing this. I mean, especially Europe, I mean, the United States is doing the same thing. If we think about like the 19th century, the Victorian chivalric revival, um, you know, when Japanese ambassadors go to Britain, you know, the most powerful modern empire in the world, they're visiting the queen in a castle. You know, there are all these ideas of chivalry that are like coming into the the first world war, you know, they're, they're drawing on medieval knighthood. And I mean, a very conscious exchange between these types of like kind of, feudal masculinity a very much idealized one between Japan and, and other countries so the things that are going on in Japan are, are very similar to elsewhere but yeah
0: it's true for many yeah. parts of Japanese culture right like yeah. adopted yeah. the uh imported ideas but made it very Japanese made it their own um people are often shocked when they visit and coffee and toast is such a great thing in Japan, but it doesn't seem Japanese. But they've been doing it so well, their own style since the 1920s, right? Mm-hmm. And was was that military uniform kind of importing mm-hmm. but making it Japanese? Is that kind of a similar idea, making it their own?
2: It is, but I think this is they are what, what they what they see is their own tradition, right? They're very Japanese, like so. All those images have very symbolic like, just a symbolic of work on your side, right? you know, like Western technology, uh, Japanese spirit. But this is a little, but something exists also in, in Chinese, also use a similar phrase, right? Very ideal presenting your own history in taking something Western and making it a Japanese-esque, right? I think something else is going on here,
1: right? It's, who they are and, is actually westernized. And and, and one thing yeah, go I, ahead, I, on. I would just oh, sorry. One thing I just like I, I want to emphasize though, because it, it's quite important is that that this isn't kind of unidirectional, you know, Japan learning from the West or Japan appropriating things and, and kind of adapting them. This is actually it's going in both directions. So you know in the 1890s when when thinkers in Japan are like, you know, they're 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 looking at Victorian Britain and kind of the chivalric revival when they are kind of reinventing the way of the samurai. They're using that very explicitly as a model. Um, and so, that you know, there is this kind of influence coming from, from Britain. But by 1900, um, certainly by 1902, when we have an Anglo-Japanese alliance formed, the British are now looking at Japan as a model. And they are bringing in samurai ideals, or what they see as being that. And you get people like social theorists writing about how British society needs to be more like Japan. It needs to be better organized. They need to have like kind of these warrior ethics. And I mean, this is incredibly widespread. One of the really good examples of this is um, Robert Baden Powell, the founder of the Boy Scout movement. I mean, if you read his book, Scouting for Boys, you know, early 20th century, and he, in that he's talking about samurai, he's talking about Bushido, he's talking about like Japan as a model for like Britain and especially kind of British youth. And so, you know, this is around the time of the Russo-Japanese War. And, and so it's just to emphasize that, you know, it, it, it's not just kind of Japan appropriating things. It's essentially like, you know, Europe and the United States, they're appropriating Japanese things in the same way. And it's kind of, it's quite cyclical. And then when we start bringing in somewhere like China, which is you know, being influenced by both Japan and the West, and it's also influencing them, then, you know, we get this really complicated, kind of entangled history of ideas, this movement. So um, just, yeah.
0: No, no, yeah, that's a really good point. Very important. Um, When I I talked with uh, author Matt Alt, he mm-hmm. he talks a lot about the export of japanese inventions and japanese toys and and many things and how japan's culture over the years has really influenced america and other countries so yeah definitely important point to point out there uh we've talked a bit about hiroshima castle one of the i went around this morning to refresh myself before this talk um Some of the things I had never heard, even though I've lived in Japan since 96, was how uh, I knew about the conflict. Are we going to create the castle again? Because we now have a new narrative for Hiroshima, that Hiroshima is the city of peace and the castle is connected to the military past. and, And how do we have a consistent narrative and have the castle? And then they thought about having a Statue of Liberty, there, I had never heard of that. Absolutely incredible. I think you showed me a, a news clipping, yeah, right, Oleg? Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, run. <deep. laughs> so As it, it wasn't
0: something. called the Statue of Liberty. It was uh, mm-hmm. an image freedom. of peace. It wasn't adopted. They, they didn't do it, but they considered it, right? Yeah, oh,
2: they got us a piece. Something they did do when uh, they put uh, they wrote, the road, the carp road. Uh, Carp castle road so, so what happened after the war the first there's a, a couple of um, the couple, first couple of years really in the beginning after under the occupation uh, uh, the reckoning with militaryism. now we have to remember Hiroshima like almost, almost all like all castle K- K- town um, military town what happened in Hiroshima like many other places
0: which we now see right on the Hiroshima castle grounds now, it's been it used, moved,
2: to be, right? used to be somewhere else where the baseball stadium be... came out. It's...
0: Yeah, it used to be now where we have... <laughs> well,
2: it doesn't mean anything, but it's next to... It's near
0: the near the Ibam Dome. You can see the, it's the really opposite area here. Dome. Yeah, this yeah. is an incredible photo.
2: Now, what happened in Hiroshima? was very much dependent on, on military economically. And Hiroshima was very important for Japan. Wars and Yuri was the center of I, Hiroshima identity before the Cold war because it imperial headquarters for the Sino Japanese war. And there was, if today, August 6th, is the calendar of Hiroshima, uh, September 15th, which was the day when the area Her- went into Hiroshima, was the most important day in the calendar. Before. It seems as a baptism. That wash military sins, but there is an emphasis on the military. Means that we have sinned, right? So, so symbolically, and this is what the article talks about that you mentioned before. Said that the, the castle has to be pure. It's all very religious terms, uh, and it's uh, very to purify America to to a symbol of the rebirth of Hiroshima.
1: Uh, just actually on that that image, just. Um... The, the one you just showed again of the just for people who might not be familiar with that, what's going on in this in in the photos there is the the photo behind the statue is that's the base of Hiroshima Castle. Um, the castle keep was on top of that and the castle keep was blown over by the bomb. Um, it didn't burn. It just was blown over um, and it was just a bunch of kind of scrap lumber around that that was then used by homeless People in Hiroshima to like build temporary shelters and build what's known yeah, as a slum after that. Yeah,
2: slum.
1: yeah, and and the idea was essentially then to build the Statue of Liberty on that that former castle keep, the castle base, um, which is is in that image. So this the the statue or the goddess of, of freedom, as it says there. So yeah, and right, and
0: that castle base is the original back to the 1500s, isn't it? It's amazing a lot of the castle structures the foundations date back over a thousand years right amazing
1: yeah i'm not sure how heavily rebuilt they were i mean one thing with with a lot of the um, with a lot of japanese castles is the stonework as well given kind of earthquakes and other things that happen in japan they do have to be redone quite a bit and some of the most famous castles in japan are actually really concrete reinforced now the stonework it looks original from the outside um, but, I mean, a place like Osaka, I believe Himeji as well might have quite a bit of modern reinforcement in it. Well,
0: that was another thing I was surprised about uh, from your book was th- that actually even Hiroshima, the inside is concrete and steel. Whereas I, uh, from the outside, looking at it, you think it's the original wood style, um, and Osaka is the same, Himeji is the same. So so many of the renovated castles are actually made of concrete. Is that right?
1: It, although, well, Himeji, I guess, yeah, oh sorry. Himeji is, is, is still kind of an original one. It's still made of wood, which is why it's 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 so famous. Um, I mean it was Himeji was also a military base. It was also bombed in the war. Um, supposedly a, a bomb actually hit the castle and it didn't go off, a dud. Um, but the castle actually, I mean, this from some military expos in Himeji in the 1930s, these these photos. That's a great one. You can see the connection between military and and the castle there in the background this is from from Himeji, like a national defense expo. Um, and so Himeji was one of the, the few to survive. It, the thing with these castles, you know, the, you have to redo the stone every now and then because it does shift. But like the wooden keeps up top, you know, most of these are late 16th, early 17th century. Himeji, I think, is early 17th century. And, you know, the wood only lasts so long. And so there's a huge reconstruction in, in the 1960s, I think, is the first one. I and mean, there's one in the 30s, another one in the 60s, where they go and they take out all the rotten timbers. They really disassemble a lot of it, replace it. They did the same thing in Himeji about ten years ago. Um, I think it reopened about four or five years ago. People might remember it. It's it's gleaming white again, right? It, it had gotten a bit a bit darker, um, but that's the thing. You have to really take these these things almost apart and replace a lot of it, and and that's where you know you you you, you do kind of get issues and questions about authenticity. Like if you're if you're replacing all of the timbers, is it still the original? Um, you know, what percentage of timbers can you replace and still have it be? original and so um but in the 1950s everything was being made of concrete i mean also because you know it looks great from the outside more or less authentic in many cases but it's it's really durable right i mean you've just gone through this experience of having everything destroyed in the war so now you want to build from concrete rather than wood if you can but i mean ron i think probably some more to add on that
0: the the fire worries that they had a lot with the the bombings and during the war right Toyama, i think you had a picture of the u.s occupation in the imperial palace um i hadn't realized that they took over the imperial headquarters as well that makes sense they took over all the military installations around japan right yeah
1: Yeah. i I think ron i think your, your sound cut out there for a second earlier i think it was just to that's, you're mentioning that you know the biggest castle is what is now the Imperial Palace in Tokyo, which was the shogun's castle up until the late 1860s, and you know that then becomes the modern Emperor's Palace. Um, it becomes again; it's a huge military base. The bits around it, the center is, is you know, the Imperial Palace, Imperial Castle, as it was known until the late ni- late 1940s. Um, yeah. After after the end of the war, they wanted to get rid of the castle connotation, the military connotation, and they renamed it the palace. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, the U.S. military took it over like they did all the other military sites, and that was a lot of castles in Japan as well. They're suddenly occupied uh, by the U.S. Army, or then, you know, which to a lot of people in Japan, it's it's not a huge change in some ways because all these castles were you know military property and off limits before 1945. And after 1945, they, they still are. It's just you now have, you know, a foreign occupying army rather than the Imperial Japanese army. Yeah.
0: Uh, Oleg, yeah. you had a I lot know. of interesting insights about Osaka. And it seems like Osaka has a very interesting uh, shift in narrative over the years in how especially that that original castle was rebuilt because the people wanted it, but the military said to raise money. We also want a building. Um, tell us that story. And then how it's used now is so different, right?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think one of the, the key things that that we noticed actually when we were researching this, I mean, that's that's a picture of the, the Osaka Castle Keep in the 1930s, um, because most of these castles like Hiroshima are rebuilt in the 1950s. But Osaka Castle is actually rebuilt in, and finished in 1932. Um, and it's kind of the first major reconstruction out of concrete. Um, and it's effectively, you know, Osaka Castle is the biggest military base in Japan. It's the largest arms factory in Asia, is in the castle grounds. I mean, you can see the scale of it in this photo here. I mean, it's huge. It's now, it's now a park. But essentially, you know, this is all off limits to the normal people of Osaka, because it's a a giant military facility. And, you know, they, they are actually, you know, we're talking in the 1910s, um, they want access to what they are starting to see as their heritage. And, you know, there's a big movement to get the military out of Osaka Castle. Um, And the army doesn't want to leave. And so there's, there's a lot of kind of negotiations, but, you know, around early 1920s, it's a period after the First World War, where there's a lot more movement towards like internationalization and kind of democracy and and things like that and so the army comes up with a deal with kind of the civilian um various civil society groups that they will give them access to the center and they will let them reconstruct the keep um out of out of concrete um in exchange for the civil society groups and the civilians paying for a new building for the for the uh fourth division headquarters And so that's essentially the deal that gets struck. And they build both of these things at the same time. And actually the fourth division headquarters building takes up about two thirds of the budget. Um, The castle keep is quite a bit, quite a bit cheaper. Um, And so both of these are, are essentially opened in, in 1932. It's still a big military base, but you know, the people of um, the public now have access to the center of it and they can, they can tour the the castle and the keep. And you know, that kind of continues until the early 1940s when it's all, all locked down again. But it's interesting when we, you know, if, if people go to Osaka Castle now, you know, the Castle Keep is still there from 1932, and that is still there, the The Fourth Division Headquarters building, which is now Miraiza, and is like kind of a wedding and restaurant venue. Um, and it's 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 quite exceptional, though, I have to say, in Japan, which is, I mean, I, I think is very interesting as a historian, is when you go into Miraiza, and you walk past Tully's and the Ninja Shop, um, back in the corner, is a little like history corner that actually talks about the military history of the site. And that's incredibly rare. Like almost nowhere in Japan in the castles do they talk about, you know, that military history that, as Ron said, you know, has been, has been erased just about mm-hmm. everywhere. But in, in Osaka, they actually address it also because, you know, they have these giant military buildings left.
0: Yeah, I'd love to go. I've never, I've been to Osaka Castle. I've never been inside this building. And you said, like, if you go inside uh, the old original style, uh, they've redone so you can appreciate like the 1930s style. Uh, You can sit in an upstairs bar, which is painted gold, which is probably more reminiscent of the, the feudal past, but it's kind of a combination of things. Looks very retro. It's real interesting, mm-hmm. like combination. But it's like you said, it's so nice that they do have that clarity of the military past uh, represented as well, right?
1: The, yeah. yeah, I think I think your sound cut out again again briefly there. Right? The 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 roof. Um, I think you showed the image
0: from just the air earlier. This one? Um, no, no, it was
1: from from the roof, just looking over the park and oh, with the
0: golden the, the golden yeah, carp. One. Yeah. So
1: so this is the view we see. Now from the top of Osaka Castle. I mean, I took this in 2018. And you can see it's almost all park. And there's one little building you can kind of see in the trees, like right in the middle of the image, you can kind of make out, which was kind of a chemical um also weapons laboratory, chemical experiments laboratory by the Imperial Army. But then I don't know if you have the other image of what it looks like in the 1930s of of the same view. Oh maybe not, but essentially everything everything in that image that's trees in the 1930s would have been military facilities, right? So there would all have been brick buildings, um, barracks, like there's a clothing factory in there. And in that photo as well, just about everything in there that's trees would have been built up kind of barracks and other military facilities until, um, until 1945, um, and often beyond.
0: Wow. And just to, just to mention about this golden carp, because I noticed at Hiroshima Castle as well today, um, they have a special exhibit in the museum where they show two of the very large, very colorful, original carp that they found from Hiroshima Castle. And it's now on display inside the museum. And they're very colorful. Like this one's very gold. Um, usually, when you see traditional castles or roofs, you don't see any color like gold or anything. So this is quite unique and special. It seems you have a woodblock print from one of the. They're looking mm. at the the koi, the carp, and like very surprised by it. So is there something special about the style? of the carp in Osaka castle or Hiroshima castle?
1: Yeah, so this is the, sh- the shakchi hokor. It's translated either as, as like often killer, golden killer whale or golden dolphin. Um, one of the, the kind of meanings behind these supposedly is that they're, we see them on the top of almost every castle roof, um, whether they're originally there or not, but in a lot of the reconstructions, sometimes they're quite small, sometimes... They're, they're very large as in Nagoya. This is one of the ones from Nagoya in this woodblock print. And, and one of the things, they're supposedly supposed to ward off fire, like lightning strikes, supposedly. And they're, it's, I mean, not in kind of a practical sense, but kind of has almost like a protective um, spirit. And so in um, the early 1870s, um, you know, there were, these castles were almost all seen as like these kind of embarrassing reminders of kind of the feudal past. And the vast majority of of them were torn down um, of castle buildings. And in Nagoya, which is the largest kind of surviving keep in Japan at that time, they were going to tear this down. Um, And one of the things they did is is they took these giant carp or these these well, not carp, these uh, shachi off the off the roof um, and they were gold. They're incredibly valuable and they gifted them to the emperor and they, they shipped them to Tokyo. And we see here this one being exhibited at at Yushima Seido, I mean, um, the kind of Confucian um, shrine there in the Confucian temple just north of the palace. Um, And one of them was exhibited there, and the other one was actually sent to Europe. Um, And it goes to the the World Exhibition, the World Fair in Vienna in 1873 um, before it comes back. And so they take these things off, and they're going to tear down the, the Nagoya Castle Keep. And then the story goes that a passing German diplomat like hears this and says, "Oh, you, you can't tear this thing down. this is you know this amazing structure and supposedly convinces the Japanese military to, to spare it. Um, whether it's actually him who did that or it was some Japanese officers who did it on their own initiative, there's arguments. Um, but then it, it's it's spared in the late 1870s these these Shachi, are replaced onto the roof and, you know, Nagoya castle is protected. It becomes an imperial detached palace and it remains as like a really important site until 1945 when it's, um, it's destroyed in um, U.S. bombing um, of Nagoya, which, and there's some pretty dramatic photos of the, the castle keep burning, um, I think May, 1945.
0: They're uh. Amazing. Were they actually this big, like bigger than people?
1: Yeah, they're they're very large. Um, yeah, I, I think this is this is probably pretty close to scale. Would you say, Ron?
0: Okay. Um, the one I saw in the in the museum for the castle today, um, they mm-hmm. were much smaller. They weren't mm-hmm. that big. They were maybe half half person size, mm-hmm. and they weren't they weren't golden. Um, they were like uh, ceramic, but painted mm-hmm. painted black and bright colors, orange. Um. So. Yeah quite unique
1: yeah which, which I think is more common perhaps I mean Nagoya was really famous for these giant golden shachi. I mean it was really famous for those and still is um and and yeah so like Hiroshima or Himeji have, have much smaller ones um and like and they will be just kind of often this this kind of gray or like a ceramic color it's it's yeah it's, yeah Nagoya it, it, I think is the outlier rather than the others
0: they on the poster they were talking about the excavation site in Hiroshima, so it was obviously uncovered from somewhere. I don't know the full story. Uh, Ran, as you do, you have audio? Yeah. Yay. Uh, Can go. you? Yeah,
2: good. Yeah, so yeah. go ahead. Uh, the place where they found them was the same the same site. It's, uh, they probably dropped.
0: It's interesting. Uh, you guys talk about how some of the, the wood from the castle was used in the slums right, to rebuild some of the, the homeless housing right after the bombing. That would have been incredible to see, right? In the the shacks, if there were parts of the castle, um, but you know, that making use of any available wood, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe you couldn't recognize. Uh, one of the other yeah. things yeah. were the, yeah. the moats were filled in, right? Um, so, was it three moats originally around Hiroshima Castle? And now there's only one. But if you look at one of the photos, I think you shared in the video, Oleg, about the tram lines and that the tram lines is actually over one of the moat areas. Is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, knows Hiroshima, yeah. I think, a lot better. But you you still see it in the names. I mean, um, a lot of Japanese cities, anything with like something hoardy or boardy, those station yes, names. Um, there will always be something with the moat. This
2: is uh, Hachioji body. Is incorrect correct? So one of the biggest uh, tram station in in, uh, in uh, Hiroshima body, body. So it's the eighth eighth uh, body, eighth uh, moat. So Japanese uh, streets, A lot of Japanese. Uh, uh, the way the Japanese sit on the old architecture of the castles. So so, yeah, they refill the moat. Uh, and then the Americans might take over castles if you're the moat in And then, after when they rebuild castle, they bulldoze the whole thing, <laughs> uh, redesign it to make it build again. Yeah. Wow.
0: So, this is the aerial yeah, view is- of where Hiroshima Castle is now, but there would have originally been uh, a bigger area around where the red is. Is that right? for the whole castle grounds, it sounds like.
2: Mm-hmm. So went all the way to Nakajima, all the way to the, where to Grand Zero, basically.
0: Wow. They didn't um, mm-hmm. Yeah, go they
2: ahead. Didn't aim at, they didn't aim at the castle. They aimed at the civilians. When when we started writing in the book, we thought, well, a lot of the castles burned down during the war, which most of the castles destroyed before, 1870s. Uh, but then even the castle so the war did destroy it because they were aimed. Uh, the, the Americans aimed at destroying the military, aimed at destroying civilian areas. They didn't aim. And A lot of times, like places like America, I mean like there's a reason why. It, I mean, a lot of it was luck, but also because they aimed at a military basis. So, yeah.
0: Um, in yeah. terms of in terms of rebranding. A city we talked about the Hiroshima rebranding uh, with the Statue of Liberty, uh, with uh, rebranding as the City of Peace, and talking about feudal uh, history and not really the modern military history. Uh, you also gave examples of rebranding in terms of uh, with elephants or zoos. Is this Odawara? They had a Ferris wow. wheel. They had uh, uh, or, uh, animals. They, this is also part of the rebranding. Um, is this post-war? Uh, maybe
1: 1940, you said? Le- late 1940s. Yeah, mm-hmm. notes. Yeah. But they used to
2: be also a zoo in Himeji. And they're used to have uh, animals in. It's because, um, and we saw also the fairies uh, as part of, rebranding and also in hiroshima they build amusement parks around in order to you know let's let uh, erase erase the mill. they do it because it's a big empty space where you can use for a big exhibition so that's what happened also before we have a lot of children entertainment also before the war but we side by side side with tanks right
0: and side that another Another rebranding style was to change military facilities into sports facilities that you talk about, right?
2: Sports and art. And a lot of you have the space, but the, you have the added bonus of moving from war on Hiroshima again. It's a lot of real estate. And both before, before, real estate is a big, 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 big thing. Um, who gets...
0: All this land, right? And in terms of sustainability, it's kind of good that they're reusing the buildings in some way. <laughs> they're not completely uh, destroying uh, a decent building to reuse. If you're thinking just for the environmental point of view, <laughs> um, but but like Yuga, you mentioned in Osaka, by reusing that military building, they have become a bit more transparent in how they tell about the military past so if you completely destroy the building there would be no reason hmm. to talk about that that military past right so there is that as well um yeah, one, yeah go ahead
1: I, I just just i mean Osaka is interesting because they actually talk about the history in in that building which i mean we um, mentioned Himeji i mean Himeji it's i think it's the Hyogo prefectural art museum which is just to the east of the center of the castle which is these these big brick um kind of storehouses um which were military storehouses before and now it's the art museum um so they've reused the buildings there kanazawa is similar there's an art museum in the former military storehouses um but these aren't these aren't as explicit about the history as as osaka castle is um and i mean they have reused the building so from sustainability perspective that's that's a good thing but you know they aren't they aren't quite as upfront about you know what was there before yeah, I think good,
0: the, yeah, go ahead, Ran.
2: Sorry, I'm sorry. Another good example is, is, uh, I think that was with Kanazawa because there's something else happening there in Kanazawa and also in Shuri, which is a lot of the news lately. The first move was very when reuse of the building was to make it a university. Real estate, there's a lot of fights over what's going to become. They make it into a university, and, and again, from source. Into no ploughshare, but pens, but right? right. It's very, very symbolic. To students, this is you
0: know, very, very book.
2: symbolic move.
0: I I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah
2: a, gun- lot, a lot of schools go into to, into castle grounds again. You have space. Yes, yeah. in Kanazawa is important. Is that they kind of kicked the university out and do the same thing in Shuri, making the whole space into like, like return to the past nicer actually they sell it through echo right it's in wood it's harmonious because we we love the environment uh, it's, it's a mm. whole exercise in in layering history not not quite layering but you know um, yeah
0: Making making it more complex narrative than a simple one, uh, which is sometimes big part of rebranding things, right? Um, can I ask yeah. what is yeah. the controversy with the elevators? Why is putting an elevator in Nagoya Castle so controversial? It happened from the 1950s, was it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean these these are all, and starting with Osaka Castle, uh, that's yeah that's nagoya castle um, the original wooden one from the 1870s you know they've taken the the shachi off the top but um in the 19 starting with osaka castle you know in 1932 they they rebuild it out of concrete and the inside of these castles you know they're modern concrete buildings so of course you have you have an elevator in there you have you have modern amenities you have air conditioning i mean you showed the mitsubishi ad for um for elevators and you know they're they're concrete and it's fine. That's you know that's Mitsubishi e- yeah elevator advertisement using the castle. Um, it's no problem with concrete. Um, the issue though that that we have and I mean just like a much larger issue in which which is now going on in Nagoya is, you know, concrete gets old, um, and starts to crumble. As anyone familiar with you know American infrastructure, um, can tell you, you know, things that were built in the 1930s and 40s really start to get old and crumble. And so Osaka Castle, already in the 90s, was in in really bad shape, um, and they were thinking like seismically, this this is quite a dangerous structure. But they decided in Osaka that you know this the the, the concrete keep has lasted longer than any of the wooden keeps that preceded it, and they they really like it actually, I mean, it's historically significant. And so they refurbished the concrete and modernized it, and you know it's now good for another however many decades. All the ones that were built in the 50s, like Hiroshima or Nagoya, you know, those are now coming up to the end of their kind of life. And this is the big deal is what we do with these aging concrete structures now that are supposedly unsafe um, in case of an earthquake, especially. And the idea is in dozens of Japanese cities is to like tear down these concrete keeps and rebuild the things authentically out of wood, you know, make them echo as, as Ron points out. The problem is if you're going to rebuild this authentically and for somewhere like Nagoya, which we have, we have all of these amazing diagrams. We know exactly what that thing was looked like when it was made out of woods, cause it only burned in 1945 and they did great analysis and diagrams and everything we could, we could rebuild it exactly how it was. And that's what a lot of people want to do. But the problem is then, you know, it's not accessible. Like you, 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 how do you put an elevator in, into that? How do you make it accessible? Um, Kanazawa have managed it um, in a lot of ways. It's not completely accessible, yeah. but there are a couple of elevators and chairlifts. The issue with Nagoya is there's, there's really this this sharp divide between certain groups who want to just rebuild it completely authentically and very not accessible. I mean, it is a military fortification, you know, it's not, it wouldn't have been that accessible. And then, you know, a lot of other groups who are saying, you know, this is this is a public building, it should be for everyone, it should be accessible. Um, And if that means, you know, putting an elevator in and, and, you know, making some changes, then that's what we need to do. And it's I I was just actually looking um, on the website the other day of the castle and they now have a big um, it's it reached a kind of a crescendo and there's now a big kind of drive they've, they've got a pitch that people should submit ideas especially like companies design firms should submit ideas for how you can make this barrier free um but they're quite clear in like the video they show that you know you can't just have an elevator going the length of it because of all the timbers and this and that so you know please submit your ideas there's there's a call there i think the deadline is sometime in august uh, but it's it's a it's it's a huge debate That's that's going to be relevant to all of these castles around Japan.
0: Yeah, well, that's a that's a good yeah. point, making it more accessible, barrier-free, which it should be the way forward for any new structure, right? And Nagoya Castle is huge. It's a really big one. So you could imagine there would have to be a lot of consideration of how to redesign it.
1: And well, if it was that-
0: entirely wooden, that would be impressive, but yeah.
1: Uh- be amazing. Actually, that image you just showed, um, if like at the bottom right, just behind the trees, there's a little, a white box that people can maybe see. And that's an external elevator that was added. um, So people can actually get to that level of the keep because it didn't have an elevator to actually get into the keep before that. And so that's a much later addition, just a couple decades ago. Um, And that was very controversial because, you know, a lot of people, again, talk about authenticity Saying, oh you can't put this big boxy elevator on the side of the castle which is the same thing we have in in osaka actually um and and i mean it's i have to say some of the positions are quite extreme people saying oh well if it's not completely authentic then it's it's not worth doing
0: that's a bit ridiculous i like how they've hidden the elevator with the tree see that's that's <laughs> a nice compromise <laughs> yeah
2: i want to see so uh hiroshima's gonna go through the same thing they just uh submitted the- plans uh, reason why it's so controversial because it's all paid for a, a tax money not exactly all but this is what makes uh, also castles a great for us, us as historians a great thing.
0: it depends on who wrote that part of history in terms of authenticity it's through lots of different lenses over time right
2: what yeah. what is where do you go back from right yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, such an interesting talk. Now, one of the other things you just mentioned, Ran, about the public paying for the castles. And that was a really interesting theme for me, which I didn't realize. And so then it becomes controversial to have a private shrine, which is actually quite connected to nationalist kind of, ideas about war criminals and Yasukuni, but it's on the same land as the public castle grounds. I love how the public castle grounds are like a park. People can use it for picnics and stuff, but that is definitely an interesting contrast. How do you balance that public-private conversation? And it seems like that conversation, that uh, discussion, is happening around Japan right now because some of the rules have changed uh, for building codes because of the Olympics. Some public lands are becoming private uh, because of rules that changed to make the 2020 Olympics. Uh, any comments on that? The public-private contrast.
1: I, I don't know what, just just with with regard to the those shrines. Um, so as as run mentioned before, and we talked about a bit, it's you know they've 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 kind of erased the military history in, in just about all of these these sites, and it's really they're now parks and they're focused on the pre-modern history. The modern military is gone, but but one of the artifacts that is still there that is often a witness to a former military site are these these Gokoku Jinja, these nation-protecting shrines, which in the late 1930s were established as branch shrines to the Yasukuni shrine in Tokyo. And Uh, roughly every prefecture had had kind of one of these and in in so many cities i mean hiroshima is 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 a great example because it's right in the middle of the castle if you if you see one of these shrines that is probably former military land um himeji castle also has one just just next to the castle um there's one in kanazawa there's one in in uh yeah uh fukuoka I mean, there are so yeah. many of these. Sendai is a good example. Nagoya, is the, very uh, the list, yeah. I mean, this, right. so if you see one of these, and because you mentioned the kind of public prop a uh, private, this is one of the the problems they have immediately. Well, during after the war, during the U.S. occupation, is that with the kind of separation of church and state under under the um, occupation, what do you do with these? kind of national sites, these national religious sites. And a lot of them um, were then kind of privatized. They were renamed in different things and they were given just that land that they were on and that land would be privatized. Um, And they were there various kind of ways around it. Um, They were often renamed to something else, not Gokoku Jinja because of the ties to the imperial. And then after after the Americans, um, the American occupation ends, then a lot of them get renamed back to Gokoku Jinja um, but if if you see one of these you know it, it it's it's worth kind of thinking a bit more about like what the history of that that site is that's um, it's and-
0: really interesting because in in Hiroshima next to the castle it is a real hub of of activity for uh, the first visit to the shrine on New Year's Day for uh wonderful festivals that they hold there at all different times of year. Um so I never really thought of of it having any connection um to the military even now. Uh it doesn't seem to have that strong narrative right now, but sometimes yeah, you and see
2: it holding weddings and there's a lot of all, all those like very civilian and uh, the, the concrete keep right there, right? Like everything and there's sakura. There's great work by, by scholars about. This, uh, again, it's a very it's a modern thing. By the way, <laughs> like planting sakura trees around around buildings connected to naturalize and conceal. Again, conceal. It serves to conceal. It's a kind of a conspiracy. It serves to conceal the very unpleasant history of this land. Actually, it's very complicated. And, and this and other temples showed very complicated history because eventually they, they, the reason we have a park, the reason we have uh, and then after the war we have all this land and some have become private, some have become public. It's, it's a really unsolved problem that the yeah. city is still trying to deal with.
0: Yeah we we see that inside Peace Park as well. We have some area right inside Peace Park which is private for a restaurant. Um, that's always really interesting. Um, one of the things that I love about Hiroshima Castle, which we didn't mention yet, is there are three beautiful survivor trees, A-bomb survivor trees around uh, the castle grounds. And that that is a wonderful contrast in the narrative, but it's also a very important part of the Hiroshima brand. But I think it's something that the Hiroshima people do really appreciate, and it gives people hope. And whenever I do tours around the castle, uh, visitors from around the world are very interested in the survivor trees. Um, I'm not sure how the other areas uh, have as much complicated history as Hiroshima, but uh, it seems like the people who are trying to create the narrative and create the modern sightseeing are mindful of the, the conflicts anyway and there is information and it is changing over time, even in the time I've been here. Uh, new information has been coming out about the military past within the last 20 years. So it is, it is fluid, it's not something uh, that's set in stone and uh, that kind of gives me hope that people are reassessing. Uh, I hope that you guys see that as well in all your wonderful research of castles and everything thank you so much for joining today
2: thank you thank you thank you for being time yeah
0: and keep up the good work is there going to be a japanese castles book number two?
2: Oh, oh uh, we'll see yeah we moved to other things uh but i'm going to think about daimyo now and statues uh, a little bit which is related uh it's as a part of of other things
1: you, you also do something related right the international bit yeah yeah i'm, I'm, I'm focused now a lot more on, on kind of looking at these kind of global connections and how you know kind of the the medieval past including castles and samurai you know how that's remembered in japan and how that ties in with kind of a whole global kind of remembrance of the medieval especially kind of in in europe uh, the americas um china as well so yeah still still on similar themes Wonderful.
0: Well, it's a great foundation work about the castles to draw on and always mention in the other work that you're doing as well. Thank you both so much. Have a great day.
2: Thanks you too. Take care, everyone. Thank
0: Thanks for joining.